It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, we are set to go. John Roberts at the bottom of the hour, one of America's finest anchors, co- uh, co-anchor of America Reports, coming on Fox News Channel at 1 o'clock. Uh, and we have a lot to discuss because... Uh, we did hear a, a, about a hit on a, one of our bases, an American-occupied base in Al-Assad in the Anbar province. Got hit by uh, 10 rockets last night. No word on any casualties. But these are Shia, these are Iranian-backed Shia militia that are, arcade, that are uh, uh, rocketing at our guys. How long are we going to take this? Uh, what is going to be our response? We'll talk about that. And then we got that California mass casualty event. Illegal immigrants cut open one of the old pieces of wall in California and went into a semi-truck. It was packed in an expedition that's lucky to get seven. They had 25, 14 at least dead. Illegal immigrants. ABC has this story. They don't mention they're illegal immigrants. That is the story. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is Dr. Elizabeth Dufort, who is in the appropriate PPE wear. Nice to see you, doctor. You make that gown look good. Yeah, right. Uh, You know who that is. Losing power. Dems voting to strip disgraced Governor Cuomo of his emergency powers and looks more and more like he will not finish his term. We're going to look at the possible replacements and an emerging Republican who might just have enough legitimate power to win in 2022. Number two. I do not like erasing art. I do not think it's wise or smart. I think that these books are teaching tools. It's not an educational motive, in my opinion. I think it's an absolute outrage to remove books, period. I can't believe I'm saying this. I agree with Joy Behar. Cancel culture has has been canceling Shakespeare, Aristotle, Mr. Potato Head, the Muppets, and now Dr. Seuss, along with their historical past, are all of us... All of the target of this cultural cleanse in America. Time for all of us to say enough. Number one. There's some really disturbing news today out of the state of Texas. Governor Abbott has lost his mind. The Texas governor said, COVID be dead. Everybody go ahead and open up. You get some COVID and you get some COVID and you get some COVID and you get some COVID. Why are these anchors vested in lockdown? Freedom. Texas announces a a course to 100% freedom for its state, prompting outrage as the governor's lockdown recall himself, uh, governor recall himself, Gavin Newsom in some Texas cities say not, this is too fast. Meanwhile, vaccines are moving on hyperspeed as all adults could be ready for the shot by May, just in time as a scary stat show. Kids are suffering the most. We'll explain. First off, why is this controversial? In Mississippi, they did it. Uh, Governor Tate says, I'm announcing we're moving all the masks today for Greg Abbott. He's moving them March 10th, and he's got some safeguards in there, but we've seen enough. Help is here. Stop torturing people. And that's why he's moved to let everybody know in Texas they can go about their day. Why is that a problem? It should not be a problem. 
I want you to hear from the governor of Texas. Uh, Here is Greg Abbott. This must end. It is now time to open Texas 100%. Everybody who wants to work should have that opportunity. Every business that wants to be open should be open. So today, I'm issuing a new executive order that rescinds most of the earlier executive orders. Effective next Wednesday, all businesses of any type are allowed to open 100%. Also, I am ending the statewide mask mandate. Yeah, Texas on its own. Uh, He says it all must end. Now, he does say and points out Texas has reported 2.6 million infections, 43,000 deaths. We know it's a huge state, uh, and there's a lot of freedom there to do your, make your own decisions, like South Dakota, like Florida. Now, uh, Tuesday's press conference Alwood touted his positivity rate is under 9%. Still, still it is nearly double the 5% threshold recommended by the WHO. But who the hell cares about the WHO? Texas is 6.8% of the population has received both doses of the vaccine. It's only going to get better for here. So now they want to make their own money. They don't want a handout. They want to get the businesses back. Nobody's making you go to the supermarket. No one's making you go to Costco. No one's making you go out to dinner. But it's It's an option that you now have. Alabama is about to do it, too. Florida never stopped doing it. And that's got people. I'm not going to play all these cuts. It goes on too long and it's too aggravating. So when they make this move, instead of people saying what went into it, what about the risk? Let's get some experts in. Everybody just ranted against the governor of Texas. Cut to. There's some really disturbing news today out of the state of Texas. It is one thing when you say we're going to let businesses open back up. But there is no upside to repealing a mask mandate at this point in the pandemic. Governor Abbott has lost his mind. This is obviously a political ploy on the part of the governor. The only reason I can see is because of what happened in Texas, that someone dropped the ball and they're trying to change the conversation. That's it, a distraction. This is part of this prevailing, you know, macho sentimentality that strong and wrong is the way to go. Yeah, he he would know. Because he pretended to be in quarantine. Meanwhile, he got caught fighting with his neighbor who was telling him to get back in quarantine. They did his whole acting job with his brother as they act like they uh, are great buddies during a pandemic when New York, who they're mocking, who they're in the, in the same city as, was dying by the thousands. And now his governor's disgrace, he doesn't want to talk to it. But now he's saying it's macho to want to live your life. No, it's not macho to want to live your life. Now, he's, they got other detractors uh, tweeting out Governor Gavin Newsom, absolutely reckless. Really? This is Mr. Lockdown, absolutely reckless. If I'm Governor Abbott, I'm saying, what a compliment. I'm so glad I'm doing something that Gavin Newsom doesn't want me to do. It's got to be right. Uh, also, there's some other towns and some other mayors that are not thrilled that he's doing it, and that's fine. I think the mayor of Houston is not happy about it. You could decide what you want to do. But in schools, there's one thing that's pretty clear They have to open. Locking up, pretending kids are in the line of fire is wrong. Listen to these stats. Talk about the impact of not being in school on teens' mental health. It turns out 119% increase in one year in overdoses, teenagers. 99% intentional self-harm, whether they were successful at suicide or not, trying to hurt themselves. Uh, there are more claims for uh, there in terms of overdose increase, 94% in March 
119% increase in April from the year before. And in terms of mental and anxiety disorders, they're up 93.6%. And you sit back and say it's not, it's okay to lock down because we're worried about the virus. When you know if these kids get the virus, unless there's an underlying condition, they're going to be down like they would the flu. If, if that, and they're going to be back. I want to move on and talk about uh, cancel culture, if that's indeed possible. Yesterday was a new low. And it was a new low because it was read around America. And this was after Dr. Seuss's birthday. The real life Dr. Seuss uh, would have been about 120, 119 years old. Uh, but every day, on March 2nd, they have a read around the world day. And they pick out a Dr. Seuss book and they get kids excited about this book. Well, evidently, in the early days, there are things in the 1920s and 30s that don't really age well. But for the most part, you had Dr. Seuss, who in real life was this great person who worked for civil uh, justice. His entire life, this according to the people that knew him, as well as his family. But they started to ban his books. Six in particular have been banned by the publishers. Now, they've banned, starting to ban Shakespeare. They don't like the way they deal with women characters in it. Aristotle doesn't seem to be enlightened enough. Do you believe this? The Muppets, it is absolutely true. Joy Behar looked at this Dr. Seuss, and I've never done this in a positive way. Joy Behar was just outraged. Cut 19. I do not like erasing art. I do not think it's wise or smart. That is my position. I think that these books are teaching tools. These are teaching tools. If I were teaching a class now, I would bring them right into the class so that people can see what he was thinking, do you think it's racist? Is it racist? Is it anti-Semitic? Let's discuss it. If you eliminate these books, if you take things away, there is no way to discuss what's in the book. It's, it's, not, it's not an educational motive, in my opinion. Even the movie Gone with the Wind, which everybody thinks is so racist, which it is, and it shows slaves as if they were all so happy, is, is a point for discussion. Now let's show, let's read the history book now. This is the real, this is the fictitious uh, portrayal. Um, I think that even elementary school children can learn from these books. I think it's an absolute outrage to remove books, period. Gone with the Wind is an absolute classic. It is a point of discussion. I agree with about 90% of what she said. And back then, uh, that was the relationship in, in Southern America at the time of the Civil War. I get it. That's exactly what happened to Atlanta. It got burned to the ground. Um, uh, Tecumseh Sherman, um, he was the one who did it. So among the people that are upset by the cancel culture, two-thirds of Americans surveyed said they're upset by this. 44, 48% of Democrats, something like 88% are Republicans. Among the people, as liberal and as angry as Bill Maher is, as a comedian, you cannot like this. You can't get on stage and make people laugh and use your intellect if you're worried about being canceled or a place being protested because you were on stage, a sponsor leaving because you say something at one point as a comedian that that might not be politically correct. Cut 20. Finally, new rule. Liberals need a stand your ground law for cancel culture so that when the woke mob comes after you for some ridiculous offense, you'll stand your ground. Stop apologizing because I can't keep up anymore with who's on the list. Cancel culture is real, it's insane, and it's growing exponentially, and it's coming to a neighborhood near you. If you think it's just for celebrities, no. In an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. I agree. 
I 100% agree with the two most left-wing personalities over the last 20 years, maybe more, Bill Maher and Joy Behar. What about you? one 408 7669 When we come back, your calls. And then John Roberts puts it all in perspective. Uh, look back at CPAC. He covered Donald Trump intimately. Uh, they know each other very well, as well as this White House and the disaster they caused at the border as well as the disaster of this rescue bill of $1.9 trillion, which the Senate could vote on any day now. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. So I I watch uh, ABC World News. I try to watch the BBC, get as much going as I can before I start all my shows. So I'm up at 3 o'clock in the morning. So this morning when I'm getting dressed, I'm up at 2.30, actually. So I'm getting dressed between 2.40 and mm, uh, 3 a.m. And I say, let me put Bill Muir in ABC News, see what they think is important. Now, the Trump's not on. They don't have seven negative Trump stories in a row. So the fourth, the second story was about this horrific crash of an expedition. In this expedition, 25 people, they took the seats out of it, and they just pack in illegal immigrants. And this lunatic goes right into a semi-truck. At least 14 people are dead. It looks like they're all going to be dead, up to 25. Bodies strewn everywhere. Illegal immigrants cut a hole in the wall that Trump didn't build, that it was built 15 years ago, not the new wall that Trump was putting in, in California. And this truck, this accident happens. It's horrific. But the big story is this is part of the illegal immigrant crisis at our border. Totally preventable. Listen to how ABC covers the story. The other news this Tuesday night, the horrific scene on an American highway. At least 13 people killed in a devastating collision in California. A semi-truck into a packed SUV and what authorities have just revealed about this deadly crash. Tonight, the massive death toll after this horrific accident. 
Officials say the driver and 24 passengers, including children, were crammed inside the SUV, many without safety restraints. The big question tonight is why were there so many people inside that SUV? Guess why? They're sneaking into the country, you lunatic. Will you please tell people the story? Your ABC News. Illegal immigrants. Undocumented migrants. At least say they were sneaking into the country in some 1996 expedition. Good car, by the way. They gutted the seats, and they weren't exactly wearing their seatbelts. They were sitting on top of each other. 117,000 unaccompanied minors, uh, law enforcement encounters, are expected in 2021 as of right now. In 2020, there were 33,000. I mean, look what's happening already. Unaccompanied alien children coming here. They're expecting 117,000 by by May. Uh, They were down to 33. They had beaten this thing through executive orders because there was no cooperation. And now they've undone Trump rules, and they've made chaos at the border. They will not be able to hide it soon. Dre is in uh, California. Hey, Dre. Hey, how you doing, Brian? Good. What's on your mind? You're a high school senior? Yeah, I am a high school senior this year. Are you in private school or public school? I go to a charter school, actually. Okay, you going? You say, are you attending school? I mean, it's since last year, my junior year, spring break, we've been all online completely. Oh. And, like, it's just been – we haven't learned anything, basically, not going to lie. And our teachers are trying really hard and stuff, but it's just it just doesn't work at they, all. They said they want you to go back in May, and now the unions are fighting against it. They say, oh, yeah, because you white people want to go back to school. Really? It's minorities that are being hurt the most by not going to school. Yeah, and it's it's ridiculous too because I know like Newsom's kids they 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 get to go to private yep. school and stuff, but m- most of us we don't we don't get anything. And I play sports and stuff too. I play baseball, and even last year when school was open, baseball is an end of the year sport, so we didn't even get to play last year. And then this year, luckily for us, I think they're going to let us play. But like, it's we get like half the season no CIF. We have to wear masks the whole time while we're playing sports. It's ridiculous. So listen to this. Maybe you can relate to this. They did a study, and they just said they asked all these hospitals to report what's going on between uh, April, uh, April, April of nineteen and April of 20, twenty twenty. Uh, overdoses are up one hundred nineteen percent. Intentional self harms up ninety nine percent. Are you finding that that you guys feel almost like a sense of depression? Yeah, like it's it's really weird because like. Kids like us, we kind of like to like interact and like see each other, you know, at school and stuff. And like, I know. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. You know, I, I like get to talk to my friends and stuff a lot, but a lot of my friends, their parents won't let them go do anything, or their only like social interaction stuff was at school or at sports and stuff, and that's just like gone. So it's, You know what? Stop trying to protect you. The chances of you falling desperately ill because of this 
are infinitesimal. You could get it and beat it. Also, you can get it and you could be with your friends and still not get it. And the whole thing, they say most of the stuff transfers through get-togethers on your own, not in schools. And they're showing that in Ohio. They're showing that in Florida. Uh, they're showing that in South Carolina. California is an embarrassment. I'm, I feel so bad for what's happened to you guys. Uh, Dre, hang in there, and good luck in your baseball season. Uh, when we come back, John Roberts puts a perspective on it. The outrage against Texas for opening up 100%. He's also going to talk about Joe Biden, the administration, uh, how they're reacting to Governor Cuomo and not reacting, and the self-made disaster at our southern border, along with this $1.9 trillion disastrous rescue bill. I think they're off to a terrible start, but yet 6 in 10 Americans are happy with Joe Biden. Are you? From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but at what point does it become a crisis? Well, I would say I don't think we need to meet your bar of what we need to call it. We had the Secretary of Homeland Security yesterday conveying it's a challenge. But again, uh, we're going to approach this without labeling. We're going to approach this with policy, with humanity, uh, and with uh, a focus on what we can do to keep these kids safe. Keep the kids safe while we empty out Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. It, it is a – they talked about man-made crises. This is a Biden administration crisis. John Roberts, co-anchor of America Reports, uh, all over this story, all over everything in Washington. John, is it a crisis or not from the best of your analysis? Brian, you know, I was down on the border uh, 2014 – uh, during the Obama administration, when we were in the throes of a, of a migrant crisis, and the way that this is escalating so quickly would seem that it it is literally, if not at the over over the line uh, into crisis, that it's definitely at the cusp of a crisis. You know, when you when you consider the numbers that they're expecting there to be 117,000 unaccompanied alien children crossing the border this year. When, when you hear figures from Mark Morgan this morning uh, saying that it's expected that 1.4 million people total are going to try to cross the border this year, that that looks like the very definition of a crisis. And, and the fact that they're opening all of these soft-sided, quote, facilities uh, along the border to handle this influx of migrants, whereas those facilities were closed before because they weren't needed, uh, would seem to be, again, the very definition of a crisis that is, is, is definitely about to, to pop, if not already uh, gone over the edge. So, John, there are some stories that are just going to go away and we're never going to get to the bottom of it until they write a tell-all. This is not going to go away. This is going to get worse. When those doors close in the Oval Office and he gets his experts in, Joe Biden's not new to this. He backed a, uh, he backed a border wall piece of legislation back in 2006. He actually funded it. So he knows the problem there. He ha- what do you think is going on behind closed doors? How are they going to get ahead of this without admitting some of the policies that Trump had in place were working? It really looks, Brian, like they're having to lean way left here in order to keep the progressive wing of the party uh, from openly opposing their policies. I mean, when, when you look at Alejandro Mayorkas, the new Secretary of Homeland Security, saying, we're not saying don't come, 
we're saying don't come now. I mean, that's that's an invitation for anybody anywhere in the world who, who, who thinks that the United States is the promised land, which we all believe, those of us who live here, it, it is to try to make uh, the journey here uh, whatever way they can get here. And, and it's become such a huge business south of the border with these cartels charging thousands of dollars to these poor people who feel like they've got no other other choice except to escape the poverty of the country that they're living in, the political corruption. So they, they pay these people and they develop this huge business of moving people through through Mexico from the Northern Triangle countries and up to and across the border, that when you give the indication that the border is open, even if there's the caveat of don't come now, you're just going to fuel this, this, this huge migration northward. And it's happening. And this other thing called the coronavirus, it doesn't stop at the border. They, a lot, many are te- there's a story this morning that a lot of people are testing for, and they still got to put them on the buses and bring them to facilities at, at taxpayer cost and take care of them. But yeah, we, had we're, fig- we had a figure that. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say we had a figure this morning that 108 people have tested positive for coronavirus, you know, who have been put on these buses and sent elsewhere in the country. And in, in order for people, uh, Americans who are traveling abroad to get back into the country, they've got to have a negative COVID test. But, but they're not doing that with these migrants who are coming across the border. It just doesn't seem to make sense. Here's with Dan Crenshaw, who, you know, he's kind of a cool guy, uh, keeps his composure. He was his, he, he reminded me of, um, uh, he, he cut into his Italian side, put it that way, cut 36. <laughs> this is the truth, and everybody needs to understand this. The Democrats and Joe Biden, they want more illegal immigrants crossing our border. They want this. Now, in the past, they always used to say, no, it's, we want border security. It's just that we don't want Trump's big, dumb wall. We shouldn't believe them, because as soon as Joe Biden took office, he ripped up agreements with Mexico, the, the, the very agreements that were stopping this border crisis. He ripped up agreements with the Northern Triangle countries, ripped up those asylum agreements, and now everybody... And you can see in interviews people coming in caravans to the U.S. as Biden was getting inaugurated, saying, new president now, here we come. And this is exactly what happens. They've reinstituted the practice of catch and release. When I was at the border, it was with Henry Cuellar, the Democrat from that border city, Congressman Texas. And he was he's practical. He's like, we got to find a way to get this border. I'm not against the wall. We just got to control it. You know, the thing is, uh, John, I look at Joe Biden with all his years of experience. He might be I thought he'd look at his 10 biggest problems. Why would he create one? Why wouldn't he just say, listen, we paid for this. Uh, we paid for another 100 miles of wall. I'm not going to pay a penalty not to finish it. You know, the Remain in Mexico policy will have to stay in place until we get a hold of this pandemic. And you could do your own rhetoric and put down Donald Trump for it. But the relationship with Mexico in my lifetime has never been better than those last three years with, with the president and, and, this, uh, and, the, and the current Mexican president. Why would Joe Biden not see around the corner where this was heading? Because it's a triumph of ideology over practicality. You know, when you take a look at what happened with that SUV, that terrible tragedy in Southern California, that SUV that was packed with 25 people in a vehicle that seats a maximum of eight, drove through a hole that was cut in the old fence. It wasn't new border wall that was put up. It was an old fence. It and another vehicle drove through. It crashed into that uh, that gravel hauling tractor trailer. At least 13 people are, are, are dead. Um the supreme irony in all of this as well is that in his virtual summit with uh, Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador, AMLO, the new uh, Mexican president, Biden was asking AMLO for ways to avert a crisis. 
which six months ago didn't exist because we had those agreements that Dan Crenshaw was talking about with Mexico to allow refugees to remain in Mexico while their asylum uh, applications were processed. There weren't all these people streaming across the border. But as Crenshaw pointed out, Biden, in his first days in office, ripped up those agreements with Mexico, ripped up the agreements with the Northern Triangle countries. And now we've got this problem on the border, which Henry Cuellar, as you mentioned, knows is going to become a, become a real problem. He was on our air yesterday talking about it, as well as his fellow congressman from Texas, Vicente Gonzalez, who said this is going to be catastrophic unless we do something about it. This, this is absolutely a self-inflicted wound as, as a bone being thrown to progressives. And, and this is going to end up with such a tremendous amount of heartache and so many problems on the southern border, the spread of coronavirus across the country by people who are being tested and tested positive for it, but not being held back. Uh, Brian, this, this administration is going to have a lot of questions to have to answer in, in, the, in, the, in the weeks and months ahead, particularly as this crisis literally explodes exponentially. Uh, will they get asked it, John? In fact, your show starts from 1 to 3. We're talking to John Roberts, co-anchor of America Reports. Here is a piece of that interview uh, from yesterday with Henry Cuellar, the Democrat from Texas. Cut 38. It's not a crisis yet, but it is. Uh, it will become a crisis. The numbers have been increasing, and as your uh, report just said a few minutes ago, uh, the numbers are just uh, increasing every day. The number of unaccompanied kids, the number of uh, families that are coming in are, are just increasing every day. In my district, uh, just a couple days ago, 166 people. And it just goes on, and just different um, numbers are going up. So uh, it's not a crisis yet, but it's going to get so there you're, you're very soon. So yeah, he he does. He wants to stay somewhat in his party, uh, but he but he also has to go into his district, John. Yeah, and and you know I've always known Cuellar to be a very reasonable yeah. person on immigration. He supports immigration. He's sympathetic to to the people who are living in in these northern triangle countries and the corrupt governments and and the, and the extreme poverty. But he also knows that you can't just let everybody in across the border all at once. It doesn't work that way. You have to have an orderly immigration system. Otherwise, the impact, particularly on border uh, states like Texas and Arizona and New Mexico, California, is going to be extraordinary. So let's talk about what's going to happen this week. The $1.9 trillion uh, rescue package that is going to be voted on the Senate, passed the House, without the minimum wage, now will be without voted on without that transit system in San Francisco and the bridge that you were mad at me because I said bridge to nowhere because you think because I call Canada nowhere. I believe all I have in Canada is the Blue Jays, right? Besides that, what else is there? I'm only kidding. Um, no, but, I, but I'm just hey, saying. There's the, there's the Raptors. They're a pretty good team. Oh, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, two years ago, world champions. But, but, John, so those two things are out. That just saves you a few million bucks. This is $1.9 trillion. Is there any sense from your sources that any Democrat will budge on this? You know, Manchin is maybe the only one who will. He was definitely against the minimum wage provision. And now that that is out, although I, I love to see people like Bernie Sanders saying we should overrule the parliamentarian. We should put this in. I mean, you know, it's like you're supposed to play by the rules. I know. <laughs> Particularly when you're in the Senate. The Senate is supposed to be the grand deliberative body or, you know, all of the hot rhetoric comes out of the House is measured and deliberated. And, you know, we, we call the temperatures down. But Bernie is is out there, you know, suggesting that they overrule the parliamentarian. Thankfully, that 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 
idea is, is not going to fly. But, you know, analyses have been done and that the vast majority of this $1.9 trillion has got nothing to do with coronavirus relief. And, and the bulk of it wouldn't be spent until after this pandemic is over, including money for schools. So uh, yeah, the one thing that we do know is that Democrats love to give money to their special interest groups. And by all analyses, this this bill goes a long way toward doing that. John, I mean, I, I'm amazed that I, I watch all the Sunday shows uh, when I can. I watch them back. And when they were approaching this rescue bill and talking to Democrats, no one mentioned the spending that had nothing to do with the virus. They didn't mention any delay uh, on this money, how, how much, about a trillion, is still left unspent. I don't remember a time when Tim Russert would leave all those type of questions on the table. I, I can't believe what, uh, how, how, what advocates yeah. these hosts have become. You come from a network background. Does it surprise you? Uh, it, you know, God, God bless Tim. We, we all miss him because the one thing that Tim did, you, you know, really, really well, better than anybody, was it didn't matter what pol- side of the political aisle you were on. Tim was brilliant at taking things that you had said in the past and comparing them to what you're saying now. And, and nobody, nobody's doing that anymore. It's, it's all of, of the moment. Nobody's comparing what was said in the past uh, compared to what is being said now. Now, we do it at Fox News, but nobody, nobody else seems to. And, and I, you know, Brian, I, for four years, I suffered slings and arrows from some of my colleagues for being fair to Donald Trump, whereas everybody else just wanted to hammer him. Well, now the shoe's on, on the other foot. And, and by and large, the mainstream media is giving Joe Biden an utter and complete pass, and the Democrats, by and large, an utter and complete pass on something that their feet should be held to the fire on. Uh, and, and, and not just this issue of, of coronavirus spending, but so many other issues as well, you know, immigration in particular. You know, uh, what's going on with the military up on Capitol Hill? You know, why, why is the National Guard there, A, and B? Now that we found out this this new aspect of the story, why is the National Guard being fed moldy food? I mean, nobody really is looking into any of these things. They're just sort of letting the uh, the Biden administration go on and do pretty much whatever it wants. There are a few, to their credit, people in that briefing who are asking them probative questions, but nothing of the sort that the Trump administration got for the past four years. Well, yeah. And by the way, you were not easy on him. You were fair with him. That was the right word because he got mad at you a lot. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One time he got really mad at me. Uh, and, and you know, he, he was upset at Fox News as well. I remember he, he brought me forward to his cabin in Air Force One and was complaining long and loud about our coverage. But, you know, I, I always tried to be fair, but I was I was I was tough as well. But so many people, all they were to Donald Trump was, you know, trying trying to not just hold his feet to the fire, but trying to set him on fire. <laughs> and, There's no and question. They're not doing the same thing with the Biden administration. And, John, it's, I'm going to be on with you today. It's just crazy. I know. I'm going to be on with you today at 145. My exit question is, yeah, same here. I love uh, your show's great. It's you know, what, a, what a great addition to the afternoon. But, John, real quick, you saw the president's speech. I thought he seemed happier, trimmer than I remember him. And he didn't go out of his way to go after the people that voted for him to be impeached. Never even used that word I could see, you know, mention. Uh, did you see positive signs in that speech? I mean, I, I, saw, I saw the person who continues to be the leader of the Republican Party. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not sure how helpful it was to call everybody out who voted against him uh, on the impeachment front, even though he didn't mention that they voted 
against him. Uh, and he did go back and relitigate the November 3rd election to some degree, saying four times that, that, that he won it. But I think we saw a guy who uh, definitely is, is continues to be the leader of the Republican Party and, and will for some time to come. I mean, it was an interesting event. And I think the only thing that stops him from running, again, two things, uh, health, and number two would be some type of financial problem uh, with the Trump organization. Potentially. Yeah. And, 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 Brian, I know that the bridge has nothing to do with coronavirus relief, but Cornwall, Ontario definitely is not nowhere. And one of these days we should take a trip up there through upstate <laughs> New York and across the bridge, and I'll take you over to Cornwall and, and show you it's a lovely place. And you're referring to Chuck Schumer's bridge, uh, which exactly. is now not going to be built. I will say this. We're not allowed to go to Canada because we have control over the, that border, right? It's only business stuff. So I'm not sure that we can cross that border yet. But I, I think that we qualify as essential workers, so we, we can probably go. With ask, my, ask everybody here with Fox News Radio. No one thinks I'm essential. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brian, I've always thought you were essential. Thank you. That's very nice. I think that sounds like a Hallmark card. Um, John Roberts, I will look forward to seeing you in a couple of hours. You bet. Hardest working man in television you are, Brian. Yes. Uh, you ever the, go home? And radio. No, no one wants me at home. <laughs> John Roberts, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. Bye. The Brian Kilmeade Show, bringing you breaking news first. Joining us now is uh, John Roberts, uh, right from uh, the White House. Brian, yeah. I'm sorry. Can I put you on hold for a second? I'm sorry. I've got an official I need to talk to right now. You don't want to miss a minute. Can you come back to me in 90 seconds? Absolutely. Yeah, we'll be the first to hear it. Hear it first with Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. So we're talking a lot about the cancel culture, and uh, two out of every three Americans are concerned about it, especially Republicans. I am extremely concerned about it, from Shakespeare to uh, Mr. Potato Head to the Muppets, and now Dr. Seuss marries a teacher in Tampa, wants to weigh in. Hey, Mary. Hey, Brian. I have to tell you, after hearing George Behart and Bill uh, Maher, I was stunned that I could agree with him on anything. I know. And here I am agreeing. And let me tell you, I taught school for 40 years, and I taught children all 40 years with learning disabilities. So I had all ranges, but I had non-readers, children who didn't even know their alphabets. But teaching basic phonetics, picking up phonetic books, Dr. Seuss books, you know, green eggs and ham, Sam, I am. Well, guess what? My children started learning to read, and it built their self-esteem up so high I could take them further on. And on top of that, Brian, I had a Down syndrome child come to me for special tutoring, and I taught him to read using phonetics, and he read Dr. Seuss books. So you could not. I don't know how people can just turn their back on him. Maybe there are things out there that they don't like, but I tell you what, it's important that we hold on to those books. Absolutely. And the publisher stopped with six books. Some, you know, some of this stuff, uh, you know, we look back now and say, okay, it's a little different. You could still pick up an old grammar book, old books, and you could explain certain things about today. It might be different. But for the most part, this guy was an extraordinary person whose books stood the test of time. 
President Obama loved those books, but now Joe Biden can't endorse them. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the show where you get the breaking news as well as uh, putting it all in perspective, where you play a vital role, and that's the phone number to call to be on the show. Got great emails. You can always reach me, BrianKilmead.com. I have a website you can write, and I have a chance to interact and find out uh, what's on your mind. Uh, there was a disturbing uh, Iraq rocket attack fired at our guys and our women at a at a at the Al-Assad Air Base over in Iraq, and it's coming from an Iranian militia group. They found the mobile uh, rocket sites. They blew them up, I'm sure, or took it in to study them, but 10 separate rockets. So our guys are in increased danger since we changed presidents. I'm not sure it's a coincidence, but let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is Dr. Elizabeth Dufort who is in the appropriate PPE wear. Nice to see you, doctor. You make that gown look good. Yeah, he's hysterical, isn't he? We just don't understand his sense of humor. Governor Cuomo losing power. The Dems voting to strip the disgraced governor of his emergency powers. And it looks more and more like we won't. he will not finish out his term. But you never know. We're going to look at his possible replacement and an emerging Republican who might just have a legit chance to win in 2022. Number two. I do not like erasing art. I do not think it's wise or smart. I think that these books are teaching tools. It's not an educational motive, in my opinion. I think it's an absolute outrage to remove books, period. Hold on to something steady. I agree with Joe Joy Behar. Cancel culture has been canceling Shakespeare, Aristotle, Mr. Potato Head, the Muppets, and now Dr. Seuss, along with our historical past, all targeted by this culture cleanse. Time for all of us to say, not going to happen. Number one. There's some really disturbing news today out of the state of Texas. Governor Abbott has lost his mind. The Texas governor said, COVID be dead. Everybody go ahead and open up. You get some COVID and you get some COVID and you get some COVID and you get some COVID. Freedom. Texas announces a course to to 100% freedom for its state, prompting outrage. Governor Lockdown slash recall Gavin Newsom and some Texas cities are upset at this. Meanwhile, vaccines are moving at hyperspeed as all adults could be ready for a shot by May. Just in time, as scary stats show, kids are suffering the most. We'll explain since when is opening up bad news for most of the media because they don't want to tell you they want to control you. And for the media that does this, I mean, we get to go to work. Uh, Not much has changed except for some people even have it easier. They get to work from their house and studios are built in their house. And they're upset that other governors are pushing the envelope to get this thing started. Governor Greg Abbott, cut one. This must end. It is now time to open Texas 100%. Everybody who wants to work should have that opportunity. Right. 
Mississippi, same thing. Alabama, next week. The numbers aren't the top, but they're right in the middle. What he wants to do is get Texas back to normal. We're not used to living life without risk. There's a little bit of a risk, but the vaccine is here. Why do I know that? Because I listened to Joe Biden, who happens to be president. Cut three. Though we celebrate the news of a third vaccine, I urge all Americans, please keep washing your hands. Stay socially distanced. All right, not, not that one. I like this one better. We're now on track to have enough vaccine supply for every adult in America by the end of May. Yes. Let me say- so if we have enough vaccine for the end of May, if Johnson & Johnson, a single shot is coming online, if Merck has decided to make it with Johnson & Johnson to get it in New York, for example, it's going to be here, Johnson & Johnson, it's going to be here this month. Why are we not sprinting to get this done, pushing to get us opened? Why does that not make sense? Why do we hear this from the media? There's some really disturbing news today out of the state of Texas. It is one thing when you say we're going to let businesses open back up, but there is no upside to repealing a mask mandate at this point in the pandemic. Governor Abbott has lost his mind. This is obviously a political ploy on the part of the governor. The only reason I can see is because of what happened in Texas, that someone dropped the ball, and they're trying to change the conversation. That's it, a distraction. This is part of this prevailing, you know, macho sentimentality that strong and wrong is the way to go. The Texas governor said, COVID be dead. Everybody go ahead and open up. And you get some COVID, and you get some COVID, and you get some COVID, and you get some COVID. Okay. Open up the schools. Open up your state. Let's get back to normal. And we don't have to wait. Simple. Why the media is cheering against a governor pushing to open up his state needs to, it really gives you give you a reason to pause and say, are they vested in this lockdown somehow? Do they understand there's a counterweight to it? California schools are still shut. They try to open up in May. The unions are so powerful, they call it racism. So Governor Gavin Newsom, who drops his kids off at private school, condemns Texas for opening, then has the unions walk all over him for months, now sees his kids suffering, sports going by the boards again, opportunities just flying out the door. And if you look at these numbers, the people that are suffering the most outside the elderly in our country, the seniors, are the kids. Ages 13 to 18? A 333% increase increase in intentional self-harm. 119% increase in overdoses over the past year. And also, ages 13 to 18, April 2020 from April uh, uh, 2019, generalized anxiety disorder increased 93%. So you ask, well, we got to do this. We got to we got to lock them up. We got to keep people safe. We got to keep the kids at home. We got to keep them on the laptop. No, you can't. Time is not on our side, and those little kids are just never going to develop. They're going to be a gap in their education. Right now, teachers should be having emergency meetings to talk about how they're going to start doing two years in one, starting adding an hour to the school day or adding months and weeks to the school year in order to make up for this time. And when people are cheering against opening up, they're cheering against kids. And for most of these governors, it's about their power and it's about laziness. Too lazy to put in the effort to get kids back in school. Too lazy to claim, well, it's just not possible. It's too much of a risk. Dr. Marty McCary says this is crazy. 
Cut 13. We're going to see a lot of research come out on the restrictions, particularly against kids. And this is the first of many research studies, and it looks pretty grim. This is a, a nonprofit national fair health study, a 91% increase in kids, Tucker, who come to us as doctors because they tried to hurt themselves. At a time when all medical utilization has been cut in half, a spike, a 300% increase in some parts of the country where there are very strict restrictions against kids and school closures. This is it. Dr. McCarry, I listen to this guy all the time now because there was no reason to close the schools. There was no reason to keep these kids hidden. It was all about teachers. Now the teachers get vaccinated. They'll have no excuse. Now they want the kids vaccinated out in California. Please don't tell me you buy into that. I don't want to take up too much time because this hour I'm going to be joined by Senator Rick Scott and Congressman Jeff uh, Fortenberry from uh, Nebraska. But I don't want to take too much time. But I do want to touch on what's happening with the most high-profile, arrogant governor in our country. His favorability rating is plummeting. And why shouldn't it? 17 separate Democrats have called for him to resign, including seven. I didn't know we had these, but seven socialist lawmakers. Really? He's got accusers named Lindsey Boylan, 36 years old, uh, a Democrat who said the governor tried to kiss her on the lips without warning and suggested they spend a night playing strip poker together. Charlotte Bennett accused Cuomo of making a series of inappropriate remarks and asking questions that were inappropriate about her sex life. And Anna Roosh, there's a picture of this, alleged that Cuomo grabbed her at a party and kissed her and said some other things that were clearly over the line. Mayor de Blasio, well, he can't stand Governor Cuomo, who pushes him around and mocks him for a good reason. He's a terrible uh, mayor and he's lazy, who now, by the way, says if Governor Cuomo's out, he might want to run for governor. Can you imagine that? If he gets four votes, I'll be shocked. Cut 25. If these allegations are true, he cannot govern. He would not be able to govern. It's as simple as that. Um, You have to have uh, trust from the people. And if you can't maintain that trust, you can't govern. Do you want him out? I do. one 866 But is he going to get out? No. He's got nowhere to go. He's not self-aware. He still thinks he walks on water. He's going to fight this through. I'm telling you. Um, meanwhile, Axios writes, most Democrats are holding their fire. They're putting their stock into Attorney General Letitia James's investigation into the sexual harassment allegations. Axios goes on to say they expect the inquiry to be credible and thorough and by Cuomo barely needed breathing room. So see if anybody else comes forward. See if he can diminish this or another major story. The other thing is the nursing home thing is not going away. He stiff-armed the Department of Justice under Trump. He did not tell the truth about the numbers who lost their lives in the nursing homes. He did not accept blame for putting infected patients back in nursing homes and then causing a wildfire spread in most of those facilities. He did not say why we thought 8,000 died when we learned that at least 15 thousand died. Does any of that bother you? It should, as if it's your own family. The Axios goes on to say nobody thinks he's going to quit the fight, putting many Democrats in the corner. Uh, what to watch for? Redistricting could create political danger for Cuomo. New York has lost so many people. They're supposed to lose two congressional seats after the census is released later this year, which could prompt some sitting members to challenge him rather than leave office. Keep your eye on Lee Zeldin. He's a high-profile, impactful Still in the National Guard, a veteran out in Suffolk County, New York. He could be the first Republican to have a legitimate shot since George Pataki won twice. When we come back, Congressman Jeff Fortenberry, he's going to talk about what the Pope's doing. Why is the Pope going to Iraq? Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. When do you think things will get back to normal? When do I think things will get back to normal? I've been cautioned not to give an answer to that because we don't know for sure. But my hope is by this time next year, we're going to be back to normal. I'm not going to wait till next year. Are you kidding me? You got the vaccine to, to everybody's arms in May. We're going to wait till next year. And guys like uh, the governor of Texas getting ridiculed for opening up their state. Uh, as well as Mississippi, and then next week, Alabama. Congressman Jeff Fortenberry is with us now uh, out of Nebraska. The House Appropriations Committee takes a lot of his time. We're going to be talking about Iraq and the president, um, excuse me, the Pope's visit there. But, Congressman, do you think it's going to be a year before we get back to normal? Well, Brian, first of all, thanks for having me back on the show. Pleasure to talk with you. I I certainly hope not. Uh, In Nebraska, we're frankly doing pretty well. We have a good compliant citizenry. We um, have uh, undertaken aggressive health measures. People are, for the most part, back to work. Uh, The school's a bit spotty, but uh, everybody's trying to pull together. I don't think it'll take a year. I think we're right around the corner. Right. And what is the situation in Nebraska right now? Mass um, mandate. Come see. I, I want you to come see us. I know you did last year, but uh, we're great. It's a great place to live and work and raise a family. We've got a community connectedness. People care about one another. Again, we're compliant. We're a strong ag state, and uh, there's a very strong work ethic. Focus on family and faith and football. That's what's going on. Are you playing sports? Are you playing? <laughs> are you in school? Do you have a mass mandate? Well, it, it depends on the locale. Um, it, some sports have been played. Some has been canceled. Again, we've, we've tried to manage it successfully with uh, the population or our citizens uh, having input with the public officials. And we're, we, we've plotted along like uh, so many other communities have had to do. Uh, but I think we're right around the corner. I think the trajectory is really good. All right. So let's talk about what the Pope's going to do. Why would he go into a war-turn Iraq? I think what the Pope is doing, frankly, is miraculous. Um, he's an old man. We're in the midst of a pandemic. Uh, Iranian-backed forces are firing rockets at U.S. troops, the residual of U.S. troops who are there. The prime minister, the new prime minister, Kadimi, along with the president, Saleh, um, have invited the Pope, and he accepted. Uh, Iraq used to be once used to have a rich tapestry of religious pluralism of Christians and Yazidis and minority Muslim communities, and it's got, it's been racked by decades of violence and death and despair, oppression by Saddam Hussein, and then of course we came to Iraq to try to liberate them and create some sense of stability, and that was an Im- Im- imperfect effort, but nonetheless it was at great expense to America, and we did it. And then comes along ISIS with their dark, twisted ideology that targets for extermination the Christians and Yazidi populations. And now that's taken care of for the most part, and you may have a new modern Iraq emerging, whereby Muslim leaders have invited the Catholic leader and really the Christian leader of the entire world to be present in their society in the midst of all this. It is a time of potential healing and a projection of what modern Iraq could be, where there is tolerance for religious pluralism, 
where there is respect for human dignity, and those are the essential ingredients for peace and stability and a healthy society. I mean, we're optimistic I, this I'm prime minister— I'm amazed at frankly. Is, uh, the, we're optimistic this prime minister is more pro-American than just about everything he said, everybody except Alawi. But with Iranian presence, you saw our guys got 10 rockets lobbed at them last night. I mean, how could they possibly say they can keep him safe? It's a risk. Uh, you know, I had a Catholic priest contact me who was invited to come over there because they have an exchange program with uh, the Christian areas. They bring Christian students to the United States, so that, and then they are trained, and they go back to Iraq. And he asked me if it's safe, and I said, yes, relatively. I mean, it's not completely safe. There is a risk here. But, again, for the pope to enter into that society at this time and have on his banner, which is being displayed everywhere, we are all brothers – I think is an extraordinary sentiment to project not only onto Iraq, but the entire world. So as I told you, there were 10 rockets uh, that flew into one of our bases, El Amar base, uh, last night. It was the same base that was hit after Soleimani's, uh, uh, we took uh, Soleimani when he landed in Iraq up to no good again. So this is thought to be from a Shia militia again, who is backed by Iran. What do you expect us to do? Well, again, it's, it, this is conjecture on my part. I don't have any advanced information on this, but I suspect it's some form of mild retaliation for what we did in Syria uh, the other day. And there's going to be this kind of tit for tat. And, you know, as much as I wish we didn't have to be there, a stabilization residual force of America is, is probably essential. And one of the key things to ongoing security for Iraq is security in the northern part of the country for Christians and Yazidis. And I propose that they be integrated into regular Iraqi national security forces so that they can protect themselves. And I think this is essential if we're going to get past the sort of abstract notion of reintegration of minority communities in Iraq, that they have a decided place like everyone else to live there, build families, and have this deep space, of this sacred space of, of conscience protected as it finds its form in reason, religion, and religious faith. Uh, Congressman uh, Jeff Fortenberry, last question. Uh, that $1.9 trillion package passed the House, barely. What do you think is going to happen in the Senate? Well, you're going to have some modifications, but I think overall this is going to pass. I, let me be clear. I'm not for it. I don't think Nebraska should bail out New York. Again, we do a good job of governing our own affairs. For states like New York and California that can't govern well, it's not my responsibility to bail them out. And as you've seen, the only approximately 10 percent of this is directly related to, to COVID funding. The rest is an ideological grab bag of stuff that ought to go through regular, considered, democratic process in the House. Uh, I'm not doing this. Yeah, I, it's unbelievable, Congressman. An easy chance to do something bipartisan. They didn't even try. Congressman Jeff Fortenberry will watch the Pope's trip and hope he stays safe. Thanks for alerting us to it and pointing us out uh, for us. Now, I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, uh, Congressman from Nebraska. When we come back, Senator Rick Scott from Florida. Don't move. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The allegations that have been made by Ms. Rush and Ms. Boylan and Ms. Bennett are serious, very troubling. These women have to be listened to. I've always believed that sexual harassment is not acceptable, must not be tolerated. 
And that is the majority leader in the Senate, Senator Chuck Schumer, talking about the governor of his state, New York, Governor Andrew Cuomo, who's still holding on to his job despite 17 Democrats coming out asking him to resign. A man who's never been a fan of his got to know him when he was governor. Now he's senator. Senator Rick Scott with us now. Senator, are, are you surprised that the governor of New York is in this type of predicament? You know, he's always been a bully. Um, being he, you know, he's just a. I mean, he just thinks he, whatever he does, you know, he gets gets to do whatever he wants. There's no tolerance for, you know, look, we can't have any tolerance for harassment, and like, we ought, we ought to give the facts. And you know, the governor Cuomo has to be held accountable if he's, he's done, done anything wrong. But Chuck Schumer, give me a break. I mean, when 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 Joe Biden got accused, did did Chuck Schumer go out and say anything? No, not I mean, a word. Chuck Schumer, I mean, he's just pure partisan. Everything everything about him is partisan. Uh, so it's um, and he is he is the worst majority leader because. It's all we're going to do is he's going to listen to what AOC says because he's worried about a primary. So if AOC says you got to be in for socialism, Chuck Schumer is going to be in for socialism. It's just, I mean, that's where we are right now. So the $1.9 trillion package is now in your lap, the Senate's lap, and it will not have the minimum wage. It will not have the bridge that Chuck Schumer wants to Canada. It will (laughs) not have the transit system that, that Nancy Pelosi wants. But that doesn't really add up to the one. That doesn't level off the one point nine trillion, no, does it? Oh no, 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 no. Less than ten percent of this, you know, almost two trillion dollar proposal goes to fight COVID. Less than one percent is for vaccine, uh, you know, activities and programs. Look, I want to help the families. I want to help people that lost their jobs. I want to help people that are struggling to keep their business going. I want to get this economy going again. But that's not what this is. This is oh. <clears throat> whole bunch of radical things we want to. We're going to take care of museums. We're going to we're going to do that. So it's a whole bunch of wasteful spending. Brian, we have twenty seven trillion dollars worth of debt. We with, with this we will have increased our debt in one year by six trillion trillion dollars. So what's going to happen over time? We're going to see higher interest rates. We're already seeing them. Not high yet, but there's, they've gone up quite a bit since election day. We're going to see inflation. Now, who does interest high interest rates and inflation hurt the most? The poor. That's who it hurts. So this is going to be the the Biden is going to cause all this to happen. Of course, you know Biden's pretty much just a puppet for Schumer and Pelosi. Whatever they say, he does. But but this is really really bad for America. It's not about helping people. It's about helping liberal politicians. I mean, you know, Brian. You know, I've been talking about the state bailout. Yep. I mean, so think about it. their revenues are not down. State revenues are not down. California's revenues are projected to be up $19 billion. They're going to put $22 billion away in a rainy day fund. We've already given these states $400 billion, and they want to give them another $350 billion. You know, it's, it's to, you know, pay back California, of course. They, you know, Biden won that state. Pay off Illinois. Oh, yeah, Biden won that state. Pay off New York. Oh, yeah, you got to take care of Schumer. Biden won that state. That's all this is. is it's a blue state bailout. And you're not kidding. I think people might be hearing it for the first time. If you looked at the New York Times over the last two days, he did a story about how much these states are suffering. And there's a few that are. Believe it or not, Florida's revenues are down because you guys didn't uh, you guys uh, you guys stayed open and you did not. uh, And and Florida and for the most part, um, Florida does not have. Uh, was not expecting a windfall, but you're going to tie any type of aid to unemployment. And unemployment is low, so therefore Florida is not going to get a big payout. Unemployment is but low in Texas. Will. New York, New York and California will. California will. will. Yeah. 
And, and by the way, we've given these states so much money. I mean, their their total revenues are generally only around a trillion dollars. We've given the states and locals already four hundred billion dollars, and so we we've increased the amount of money they you know so that we reduce what they had to spend on Medicaid, things like that. Four hundred billion dollars. I mean, this is not like this is not money that we have in the bank. The federal government has has twenty seven trillion dollars worth of debt. We are going to borrow this money. So you'll pay for it. Your kids will pay for it. Your grandkids will pay for it. And you're going to pay for it through high interest rates, and you're going to pay for it through inflation. We should not be wasting money like this. Let's help the people that need help. Let's absolutely do that. But wasting dollars is the last thing the federal government should be doing. So here's what Newt Gingrich said about this COVID relief bill. And you're somebody, you're so thorough, you might have read the whole thing. This is what he's hearing, cut 10. But remember, just in the trillion nine hundred billion dollar bill, when you get down and look at the details, it it passes more radicalism than the eight years of Clinton and the eight years of Obama combined. Just that one bill. And what they've tried to do is flood the system so that people can't track it. There's so much stuff going on that the news media can't track it. Even the think tanks can't trap it. Uh, and we'll find presently that uh, there are all sorts of things hidden in there, all of them designed to make America a more radical country. What do you think he's referring to? Well, I mean, first off, the minimum wage that they wanted in there is going to kill over a million jobs. I mean, the just just taking you know, it's just they just are taking care of liberal politicians they're doing a whole bunch of, of stuff like that and then they have things in there that are going to impact our um, you know our for-profit schools i mean it's just little bit of things here and little bit of things there just to hurt you know help the teachers union you know hurt the private sector i mean they are let's remember these let's think about the agenda here's the biden pelosi schumer agenda close our schools Open our borders, all right? Appease dictators all around the world, bankrupt their countries, promote socialism, kill jobs, make us less energy dependent. Look at the Keystone Pipeline. They fund abortions overseas. I mean, think about it. we have men competing in women's sports. Who who voted for these things? That's not what we voted for in November. We didn't. They didn't say. They didn't, Joe Biden and Pelosi and Schumer didn't go out and say that. Oh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to open our borders. So vote for us. Oh, well, we're going to close our schools. Vote for us. No, they lied to us. They lied to the American public. And what they're doing is the most radical agenda in the history of this country. We're talking to Senator Rick Scott. Senator, you, you saw the CPAC, uh, CPAC. You spoke there, right? Oh, absolutely. That was fun. Uh, I, you know, I, one thing I talked about is that silence of conservatives. I mean, we should not be allowing these social media companies to have this much power over their platforms, and they use it to control the public debate, and they shape our politics. That's wrong. But what do they, what do they want to do? They want silences, no freedom of speech, no rights. I mean, look at what they're doing. They, you know, they, they're against us bearing arms. They're, you know, they, they want to get you fired. Tr- look at what they're doing to people that worked in the last administration. They want to make sure they never get a job. You know, they, they don't promote religion. They fight religion. So it, it's we've got to fight back. We've got to we've got to get get back to say what what the Democrats are doing, what Pelosi and Schumer are doing is not good for each of our families. Uh, Senator, too, your goal is to get the Senate back. You're in charge. And one thing you're seeing now is uh, they thought vulnerable seats uh, could be in terms of primarying. Senator Mikowski has kind of gone on the wrong side of President Trump. There's talk of him primarying. Andy, uh, Congressman Gibbs is talking about going against um, Mark Kelly. 
uh, Democrat over in Arizona that's going to be up uh, in 2022. Where do you think you make up your seat or two that you need to get the majority? Well, we've got we've got 20 seats up and they have 14. The Democrats have 14. We have four openings. We're gonna, we have great candidates coming up in Alabama and Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina. The where we're going to pick up seats, we're going to pick up um, Arizona. We're going to pick up Georgia. So that's Mark Kelly and Warnick over in, in Georgia. We'll pick up those. We're going to pick up uh, Hassam. We're going to we're going to win New Hampshire and we're going to win Nevada. Now, I also think that we're going to find probably some other states where we have a good chance because people are fed up with Democrats controlling the governor's office or their their legislature because they're tired of this. I just read you that this list of this is. This is a Democrat ag- uh, agenda here. I mean, take care of the teachers union, not don't, don't take care of our kids. That's that's what the Democrats are doing. So I think we're going to have an unbelievable 22 if we stay on our message. We we you know we have great candidates. We raise our money, and we are we're doing really well at the National Republican Central Committee. Anybody wants to support us, it's NRSC.org. We are we are here to win elections and get the majority back, so we can stop this radical left agenda. Also, real quick, on the border, you have the cancel culture where 88 percent of Republicans are against, even 48 percent of Democrats are against. And when it comes to chaos on the border, it's not a matter of whose border policy works. One is creating total chaos. Do you know 108 migrants, illegal immigrants, tested at the Texas bus station where they crossed illegally, were found positive for COVID, and they got on the buses anyway? So I can't get – I have to quarantine after leaving an airport, and these illegals can come here and get housed and taught for free? Yeah, you can't fly in for one of our allies, but no, you can come across the border illegally and not get tested, and they'll re- they'll release you. I mean, they're, the Democrats, their open border agenda is 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 allowing thousands of migrants to come here illegally. We like legal immigration. I'm from an immigration state, but this well, what what Joe Biden is doing is he is causing unbelievable problems. There's no security, and then he wants to give amnesty uh, to, to people. Let's take care of Americans first. Let's take care of American jobs. And by the way, you know they won't open our schools. But they're open schools for illegal immigrants. I mean, it's the craziest thing in the world. They have in-person classrooms for for unaccompanied minors coming across the border. And why is this happening? Because Joe Biden said he was going to open the borders, and that's exactly what people all across you know the world now see. Is Homestead, Florida, going to be utilized again for illegal immigrants? Oh, don't you don't you remember that you know all these people went down there and protested? Remember that now. Now Biden's opening it, and that's okay. I mean, my my opponent in eighteen, who'd been in in the Senate eighteen years, he you know, and he he went down to protest it. But you know, I think I didn't Kamala Harris go down there? Did yep. a bunch of them go down there and protest it? But not now. They're all they're going to open it up. Says the humanitarian they're thing hypocrite. to do. Yeah, it is. It is not. Yeah. Lastly, what can we learn from what your state has done in terms of opening up? businesses and opening up schools? Well, first, open your schools. You know, you've got to do all these things safely. You know, you got to open up your businesses. But but think about it. Everybody wants to move to Florida now because why? You you can get a job. You can get outside. You have you, you can keep your money. I mean, look, here's the latest. I mean, uh, Warren wants to do a, a, a wealth tax. He wants to tax people. So we're going to just tax, tax, tax until there's nobody wants to work anymore. I mean, this is the craziest thing that they just keep taxing. In Florida, I cut taxes almost 100 times. You know, we bounce the budget, pay down debts. We don't like the federal government. We did all the – I did all the tough things that this federal government won't do. I've been up here two years. The, the Democrats are spending money. Like they never have to pay it back. 
it'll be after this bill that they're going to pass six trillion dollars in one year. Wait for inflation's coming, right? Entry higher interest rates are coming. It's happening. Well, very true. And you know what? It's happening too. If they put a wealth tax in New York because they're so they claim they're short on money, uh, you, Florida's going to be packed. Uh, believe me. Yeah. Uh, they're going to lose. Yeah. They're going to lose all their high-powered, high earners. They can't afford to do it. I'm not sure they realize what they're doing. Um, I'll tell you what, Senator, you got your hands full, but I appreciate your time. Senator Rick Scott. Right. See you, Brian. Bye-bye. Uh, and he's got to vote on $1.9 trillion that we don't have because he's in the minority, because Republicans blew Georgia. Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Well, hey, it's me. I'm finally going to get my vaccine. I'm so excited. I've been waiting a while. I'm old enough to get it, and I'm smart enough to get it. So I'm very happy that I'm going to get my Moderna shot today. And I wanted to tell everybody, I think you should get out there and do it too. I even changed one of my songs to fit the occasion. It goes, vaccine, 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 vaccine. I'm begging of you, please don't hesitate. Vaccine, 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 vaccine. Because once you're dead, and that's a bit too late. <laughs> nice. Dolly Parton. A perfect lead into more to know. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. Of course, Dolly Parton, 75 years old, went to Vanderbilt, got her shot. Uh, Cole comes full circle. She helped finance, donating a million dollars of Vanderbilt research to help get the Moderna vaccine up and running. Pretty cool. Next. Swish. They are pudding pops. Shaquille O'Neal with Dan Patrick yesterday. A lot of people right now, oh, you're too hard on the youngsters. Well, I'm just doing what was done to me. I can remember when I was averaging 30, 35 in LA, but we'd always get swept. And the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar said, hey, you guys won a championship yet. Did I whine? Did I cry? Did I complain on social media? Nope, I didn't say anything because when he said that, when he gave me constructive criticism, I took it and I listened and I brought my game to another level. So and these guys now, they're, they're pudding pops. <laughs> he's so true. Plus, he's got that military background and his dad, his stepdad, was somebody who was very disciplined with him. So he's used to getting criticized. These guys aren't. Think about that. O'Neal won't back down. He says, you know, he's kind of critical on that TNT show inside the NBA, which might be the best scoreboard show in all of sports and has been for years, right? I mean, it's, it's Shaquille O'Neal. I mean, it's a legend giving constructive criticism. Who wouldn't want to take that and say, you know what, he's right, or let me... Right. Let me well, make... not all of it's constructive. Some of it well, is, this guy's terrible, and these guys are lazy, but and you this know team what? is if, overrated. If it's Shaquille O'Neal telling me that, and I'm playing basketball, you know what, I'm going to take that and say, you know, I'm going to prove him wrong. Right. 
He's also starting his own ad agency now. This guy's a Is there a commercial he's not pitching? I know. I see him everywhere. But, you know, he goes out, he has his meetings, and he gets his products, and he goes and does it. Next, Donald Trump has endorsed South Carolina's Tim Scott. Not a surprise. Uh, Of course, he gave accolades to him. Tim Scott did have helped uh, criminal justice reform. I think this guy's running for president. I tell you what, he'd make one heck of a uh, formidable uh, opponent. Another, uh, some more news. Uh, Congressman Andy Biggs, a big Trumper, is going against, he thinks, Mark Kelly over in Arizona. The astronaut will be tough to beat. Uh, we'll see if he ends up being a moderate and making himself more palatable to which was once Red Arizona. Next. Um, I'm going to skip that one. Joe Biden won the White House. With the strategy of put your dumb uncle in the basement. That, according to a new book, which I cannot wait to read, Jonathan Allen of NBC tunes up, uh, teamed up with Amy Parnes of uh, The Hill to write about what happened behind the scenes in the 2020 election. The stars aligned for Biden, she says, a previous two-time loser and presidential hopeful, succeeded on his third try. The Biden camp ran partly on the strategy of you put your dumb uncle in the basement, uh, referring to Biden. Even former President Obama initially refused to support Biden and worried he could become a tragic comic caricature of an aging politician having his last hurrah. But for some reason, because of the pandemic and everything else, things broke his way. Come on, man. The name of the book is uh, called Lucky. And next, Dr. Oz helps revive a man who collapsed at Newark Airport. He knew, knew how to work a defibrillator, and he able to save him. He told everybody he should learn CPR and to work those machines. Dr. Oz is everywhere. And it's not the first time he's done this. You remember back in 2015, he helped people in a car accident on the Jersey Turnpike. And then back in 2013, he helped a British tourist. I know. At Rockefeller Center. I'm so glad he went to medical school because he really ended up sitting there going, what do I do? Uh, he knew exactly what to do. Hey, that's so much, uh, it's so much clearer now that there's more to know than just the big three. Don't you feel better, America? Uh, by the way, go to BrianKilmeShow.com. You can listen to the show anytime. Also get the podcast wherever you get podcasts. And BrianKilmeShow.com to get any of my books, including Sam Houston, The Alamo Avengers. Yesterday was Sam Houston's birthday. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade coming to you from New York, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, Seth John is going to be joining us. Jan is going to be joining us at the bottom of the hour. He is the uh, 11-year Army veteran who got wounded multiple times and played on the U.S. national team, seven-a-side Paralympian, uh, uh, the Parapan American Games, uh, in 2015. So they said, U.S. soccer said, hey, why don't you be on our board? And when he came out and was against U.S. soccer, Going, uh, going for the no-kneel policy, they decided to allow people to kneel during the national anthem. He spoke up and spoke out. said, we're not a racist country. You shouldn't be taking a knee. I bled for this uh, country. I bleed red, white, and blue. And they kicked him out. And his sponsors dropped him. We're going to talk to Seth about that. I'm Janice Dean standing by. Got a brand new book out. Make your own sunshine. Inspiring stories of people who find light in dark times. So before we get to Janice, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This is Dr. Elizabeth Dufort, 
who is in the appropriate PPE wear. Nice to see you, doctor. You make that gown look good. Yeah, so inappropriate. Uh, losing power. Dems voting to strip disgraced Governor Cuomo of his emergency powers, and it looks more and more like he won't finish out his term. We're going to look at his possible replacement and an emerging Republican who might just have a legit chance to win in 2022. Number two. I do not like erasing art. I do not think it's wise or smart. I think that these books like are teaching tools. It's not an educational motive, in my opinion. I think it's an absolute outrage right. to remove books, period. No kidding. I can't believe it. I agree with Joy Behar. The cancel culture has been canceling Shakespeare, Aristotle, Mr. Potato Head. And it's the first time I've said Mr. Potato Head right after Aristotle in my life, uh, as well as Dr. Seuss. Should I add the Muppets? When's this going to stop? Number one. There's some really disturbing news today out of the state of Texas. Governor Abbott has lost his mind. The Texas governor said, COVID be dead. Everybody go ahead and open up. You get some COVID and you get some COVID and you get some COVID and you get some COVID. The media has a meltdown because of Texas's fight for freedom. Yup, Texas announces a 100% freedom from for its state, prompting outrage from coast to coast. And that guy, Gavin Newsom, as outraged as anyone, which should be a compliment because he's the worst governor outside our governor. Meanwhile, vaccines are moving at hyperspeed. Adults should get it. I have the option by May, just in time for kids to get back to school who never should have left school. Well, let's bring in Janice Dean right now, Fox News Senior Meteorologist, New York Times bestselling author, out with a brand new book just hours ago, or I should say, uh, let me see, 24 hours ago, Make Your Own Sunshine, Inspiring Stories of People Who Find Light in Dark Times. Janice, welcome back. Aw, thanks, Brian. And listen, I got to tell you, you have been a fan of the Dean's List since day one. So you made this happen. Really? I think that you made it happen, but I had to underline what you were making happen already. I was saying I love your Dean's List stories. It should be a great special on Fox Nation, and now you have it. It's on Fox Nation, Make Your Own Sunshine. So if you don't have this app, go get it, and you could see the special. So, so Janice, tell us your first book and how it led to this one. The first one uh, was uh, Mostly Sunny. It was a memoir released two years ago, two years ago almost to the date. And afterwards, you know, I had such a great response because, you know, the book, we all have our challenges in life, right? And I've had a few. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis 16 years ago. Um, Many people would think that that would, you know, end a career or, you know, make someone feel like their life might be over. For me, it was a door opening when I look back. It was to ground me and make me realize what is important. And although I love my job and I love the people I work with, uh, I love working in New York despite the pandemic, um, it just made me realize every day is special and my family is what is most important. So when we were talking about writing another book, I wanted to focus on other people and, uh, you know, people that do kind things for others. And the common thread through this book is all the people that are featured in each chapter have something they went through or a challenge that they overcame and afterwards decided they wanted to be a better human. 
And especially through this time, um, you know, everybody went through a common, uh, their lives have been altered in some way, shape, or form. Some people uh, lost their lives, like your in-laws. Other people have uh, long-term effects. Uh, we've even seen some elite athletes. I watched a special on HBO, on HBO Sports the other night. Some elite athletes are still having lingering uh, breathing effects from this. And then there's other things, major hurdles. Do you want to share a couple of stories? I wrote a lot of this during the pandemic, and I will tell you that for me, writing these stories during a dark time was like sunshine for me. Um, I talked to one respiratory therapist, uh, Roberto, who decided he was, you know, he was in charge of the ventilators, putting people on ventilators. And he, you couldn't see him because he was wearing head-to-toe PPE. And before the pandemic, you know, his patients would always say, we, we know him because of his smile. He has a beautiful smile when he walks into the room. And because he was wearing all the mask and the, and the, the PPE from head to toe, they didn't know it was him. So he decided to put a picture of himself on his PPE, an, a laminated picture of him smiling so that people knew it was him. And he said that would brighten someone's day. And it actually, he posted it on social media. It went viral. And many healthcare professionals were doing the same thing so that patients would feel better seeing a real human being instead of the, the head-to-toe PPE. Yeah, so uh, people, of course, brighten people's lives when they're looking at maybe the, the end of theirs. Um, you also have uh, a guy named uh, Garth. Mm. Garth Callahan is the napkin notes dad. And I loved his story because I write jokes for my kids every day that I put in their lunchbox. But his story was so beautiful because he was writing napkin notes to his daughter, Emma, when she was young. He was diagnosed with cancer. He thought he was going to die. And the one thing he wanted to do was write years worth of napkin notes so that his daughter would remember him every single day. The beautiful story is he's still here. Uh, and there are shoe boxes full of napkin notes that have yet to be discovered by his daughter, who's now in college. So it's just a reminder that a little note can go a long way, not just for a child, right. uh, but, you know, someone you can you care for. Absolutely. And these are short stories. They're digestible and understandable and relatable. Uh, it's called Make Your Own Sunshine, inspiring stories of people who find light in dark times. So, Janice, not only are we used to seeing you five days a week doing weather, we're seeing you a lot on, on all different outlets, all different shows, uh, FBN, FNC, talking about what's happened to your in-laws when they died of the coronavirus, when you found out it was preventable, when you found out that on policy they were taking in the beginning of this pandemic, almost a year ago today, in the beginning of this pandemic, taking seniors who were testing positive, taking them from hospitals, putting them back in nursing homes with really no facilities to contain the virus. And it spread like wildfire. And now we found out this really does target seniors. And most of all, they're the most vulnerable. And it wasn't just New York. It was New Jersey and it was Michigan. And for the longest time, Governor Cuomo was, uh, was dodging and, and just avoiding this subject. Did you realize when you started challenging the wisdom of this move that the governor was so reluctant to just answer your questions? It just it's been a year now, like you mentioned, March 25th was when that order went out. We didn't know about it uh, until it was too late. And when I didn't see the media covering it, that's when I decided it was time for me to tell my story. And when I saw 
Cuomo going on his brother's show on CNN with the giant cotton swab joking while body bags are being piled up outside of nursing homes, that's when my grief turned to rage. So I've been going full on for at least 10 months and, and trying to raise awareness that this governor is getting away with it. He literally is getting away with murder. And, you know, breaking right now, just recently, Brian, there is a connection with Cuomo and his hospital lobbyists and the nursing homes. We're beginning to see that money trail. I'm looking at this right now. Donations to Cuomo's campaign fund during the pandemic. This is reported by ABC News, by the way. Uh, $2.3 million. You know who the donors are? The same firms that represent nursing homes who then received immunity and raked in millions during the pandemic. So if that is not a money trail of corruption, I don't know what is. But when he was asked a couple of weeks ago about this after the attorney general came out of the report citing that they underreported the deaths that came from nursing homes, here's a little of what he said. The report also says the information from nursing homes is often uh, incorrect. It doesn't mean people didn't die, and it doesn't mean people won't die today. That is the curse of COVID. Why COVID? Why did God do this? Uh, I don't know. But who cares? 33, 28, died in a hospital, died in a nursing home. They died. Do you care? Oh, so gross. It's just, and he's the only governor of the only state that didn't count those that died in the hospital, like my mother-in-law. And we found out the numbers he was giving, at least 63% undercounted. It wasn't until Letitia James, the Democratic Attorney General of New York, wrote a 76-page document saying that, yes, those were undercounted. And now we have proof from a top aide who was taped during a recorded meeting with Democratic lawmakers confessing that they covered up the numbers. Yeah, and and she said they froze because they were afraid of a presidential tweet. If that is, in fact, the reason and not other reasons, they were afraid that President Trump was going to go after him. So they avoided uh, Donald Trump's Department of Justice, but not overall justice. Now, with it, it, this is it was a little surprising to me because I don't know much about him personally. I know his public persona is the personification of arrogance. But now he's being accused of sexual harassment three separate times. And I'm just wondering how much longer this can last. And is there a part of you that is a little concerned that we're not worried about another the your the scandal of the nursing homes is being overwhelmed by the sexual harassment allegations? Yes. And listen, sexual harassment, the Me Too movement is important. And if it's proven that this guy is a creep, which I believe he is, and it's all about power, by the way. Sexual harassment isn't about sex. It's about power. And this guy has been power hungry since day one. So I'm not surprised. But it's easier to hitch your wagon to me, too, all these people like Hillary Clinton and Kristen Gillibrand, who didn't even care about the nursing homes and the 15,000 people that died in New York. Now it's easy for them to get on the bandwagon. So... He's not very popular. He probably hasn't been popular for a long time. It seems easier for them to say, yeah, let's get rid of him for the Me Too stuff instead of the big stuff involving corruption and money and, you know, stuff that you could go to jail for. Make your own sunshine. 
is the name of the book. Uh, go grab it now. It's already a bestseller. Uh, sure, it's going to pop up on the list, but on Amazon is the immediate counter. Uh, Janice, congratulations on doing another one. When most people were uh, kind of sitting in place, you were actually writing a book while working full-time, while protesting and fighting for your in-laws uh, and making sure justice is done for those other families in the similar circumstance. And it wasn't just New York. It's also Pennsylvania. It is also Michigan. And it's also New Jersey. Janice, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian, for your support from day one, my friend. You got it. And check out her special on Fox Nation. Uh, You'll love it. Uh, Janice, uh, great job. Uh, Best of luck. We'll talk to you again. Uh, Back with your calls in just a moment. You'll listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Why does the media and our politicians see the sex harassment story as a far bigger one than the rest home deaths? Sure, unwanted kisses are creepy, but compared to thousands of deaths, now you want him to resign over kissing, but not death? I don't get this. Is the sex harassment story just a way to get distance from the rest home outrage? Or did the despised governor no longer serve a use to a media that needed him to get rid of Trump? Either way, the media decides for you and me what gets clicks. You've got sex and you've got death, which is more fun to cover. At least Chris Cuomo doesn't have to choose. He has to. He says uh, ethically he could only talk about death because that was okay to kid around with the pandemic about because uh, the governor was getting all these accolades because he did a really good job on PowerPoint. But in terms of the actual stats, he did terrible. I think second in deaths, more in cases. And when, it, when push came to shove, he said, I don't do pandemics. He blamed these, uh, the city strife on the mayor, okay? Uh, he, be, he, he blamed everything on Donald Trump, all right? Brief periods of time, he didn't. He said, I don't have any ventilators. It's not my fault. He should have had a, uh, some type of rainy day fund. He did not have any PPE. He says, not my fault. And they wrote a book about his leadership, even though he had the worst numbers. And while the book's out, he publishes, get this, he publishes uh, uh, while he's going around. And it becomes a bestseller, by the way. Not surprising. Goes on all the shows. We get hit with the second wave. Anybody else would be embarrassed. But the guy that's been mocked uh, pretty endlessly is Mayor de Blasio. He is not missing an opportunity to go after the governor. Cut 25. If these allegations are true, he cannot govern. He would not be able to govern. It's as simple as that. Um, You have to have uh, trust from the people, and if you can't maintain that trust, you can't govern. And Greg Gutfeld uh, should rest assured, too, he knows the more serious trouble he is in is with the nursing homes. That's why he's retained a lawyer. Originally, they said he was handling both the sexual harassment allegations in this, but now it looks like it is just the nursing home lawsuits. Senator Marco Rubio says, let's put this in perspective. Cut 28. These allegations are about a man in a position of power, okay? A position of power, a governor of the third largest state in the country who has a position of power over the people that now accuse him. It's uh, it, it, That happened, you know, 
two, three, four, five, seven years ago. So the standard should actually be higher. And uh, you know, Al Franken resigned from the United States Senate under pressure from his colleagues because of some insensitive things he said to people on USO tours. These are allegations of someone using their power as a governor over a staff member, over someone uh, who uh, inferior to them in the po power structure. So you, you think about that for a moment and how long it took for some of these networks to even talk about it. The only reason they're talking about it now is because there are three accusers. And they started the Me Too movement, and it blows up in their faces. Anna Roosh is 33 years old. There's Charlotte Bennett, 25 years old. Lindsey Boylan, 36 years old. All for separate, all supporting each other, all for separate reasons. I am not jumping to conclusions. I'm reporting it. But I will say this. They are not waiting in the Democratic-controlled state Senate. They are already moving to remove his emergency powers. And his longtime ally, Speaker Carl Hasty, uh, he is the one leading that charge. It's probably going to happen. Uh, excellent. Uh, I also think it's great that 17 Democrats have now called for Cuomo to resign, even though he won't. I think that is excellent. Shows they stand for something, including six socialist state senators, legislators, who I did not know. There were socialists in New York City who actually ran on that party, but it seems just like that. I am curious to see the lieutenant governor and learn, learn more about Kathy Hockle. Evidently, she's really tough, got a high rating from the NRA, is looked at as a moderate, independent Democrat. Man, could this state use that. 62 years old, got a ton of experience, uh, and allies with the, uh, allies of the lieutenant governor says she's, uh, she is definitely ready to lead this state. The quote was, absolutely ready. I'm intrigued. I'm also intrigued by Congressman Zeldin deciding he wants to run. That's a legitimate threat for Republicans. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Those willing to take a knee for anthem don't care about offending half of our country. When they do so, politicizing support is the last thing anyone really wants. Uh, why would the general public care to watch a bunch of, you know, privileged people politicize their entitlement? United we stand, divided we kneel. I, I vote to preserve uh, policy 604-1. Thank you. The Athletic Council representing the U.S. soccer voting that they should not ban the, the take a knee policy. You no longer have to stand for the national anthem in the World Cup or any game when you play for the national team, women or men. And he thinks that's wrong. I think it's wrong. But he is on the uh, U.S. Soccer Council. He's a member. He was removed over those remarks and a few others uh, because he's against repealing the anthem. Now, why would he be against it? And why did he get on it? Well, part of the reason he's an excellent soccer player, and he's on the 7 aside team in the 2015 Parapan America Games. He got injured in the war, fighting 11 years for our country in the U.S. Army, and is still uh, fighting for us and fighting uh, sex traffickers. Seth Yan has lost his sponsors because he spoke up and lost his place because he spoke out. Seth, welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me, sir. I really appreciate the opportunity. No, I appreciate your service you gave. I'm a longtime soccer player, uh, five coaching licenses, played through college, know U.S. soccer well, did MLS sideline for a while, some play-by-play. -play. So I know, uh, oh, used to know most of the players in this. I didn't know that. Yeah, what, cool. what happened, Seth, to U.S. soccer? And it started with Megan Rapinoe taking a knee for the national team, joining Kaepernick and company. And now U.S. soccer decides they're so woke, no one's got to stand? 
Yes, sir. I mean, uh, that, that's what I find most hypocritical. The, anybody who, who offers diversity of thought from, from that narrative that's completely shoved down your throats within those realms um, is ostracized, is canceled, is censored. Uh, you can be as offensive as you want to be by taking in, you can offend half the country by doing so, and it's perfectly accepted, it's celebrated. But if you offer a differing opinion on, on why you think that you should stand, you're, you're, you're canceled, your life is turned upside down. And what baffles me the most is is you know I spoke on it yesterday on Fox and Friends is 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 that you know uh, again every race in history has been enslaved by another race at some point in time that's historical fact yet they're triggered by that yet only one nation fought to abolish slavery and 400,000 men fought and died underneath those stars and bars uh, that they've been their their entitled you know, self-glorifying need for us, virtue signaling is nothing more than that. Uh, they've done nothing to contribute to humanity except kick around a ball, uh, you know, for a living. And, and, and they're deferred to as some type of subject matter expert when it comes to the political atmospherics in, within our country. And I, and the thing of it is, is I support the right to do it. I, I would, I've fought for their right to do it uh, because it is our, such a precious right. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, for, for me, like, I'm, I'm going to just continue to fight for those persecuted all over the world. And, and I brought in slavery into context, you know, and, and I was no way minimizing that. The atrocities of slavery 200 years ago within our country, I said, can we just refocus and utilize our platforms to bring visibility to the tens of millions of people that are enslaved at this point in time, more people enslaved at this point in time than any time in history. So, you know, and yet I'm called a racist for that. And now I'm, I'm not even afforded my ability to do my job in rescuing people out of slavery. That is my job. And I can't do that anymore because of all the visibility on me being called a racist for just saying, let's just refocus. I, I'll never omit history. We should 100% re- remember what happened there. But this is a real threat. This is a, my real mission. This is what I'm passionate about. And I'm not even afforded that ability to do that anymore because of these privileged, quote unquote, woke dozen athletes went and called me a racist because I disrupted the fragility of their character uh, uh, by by offering a different narrative. You serve as a counterintelligence agent, special agent abroad. You've been to 98 countries for our country through 11 years in the military. You lived in nine separate countries. So you got elected to the Soccer Athletes Council Board in November. What is that? Yes, sir. It's a, you know, they, they have a, a vote that's put out across the U.S. Soccer Federation on, on athletes who should represent the council. They hold about a 33 percent vote on, uh, on any of the issues and policies and bylaws that come through the federation. And, uh, and so I, was, I felt very privileged to be one of the highest voted in um, individuals onto the council. And uh, um, I, I wanted to be a voice that offered diversity of thought because I am egregiously outnumbered. I'm the only one who holds any conservative values. There is a very hyper-left organization. And I had great relationships with these people. I had, I had great discourse in, in private. <laughs> but when it goes public, I'm thrown to the wolves because nobody wants to stand to the rabid mob. And, and I, I will never bend my knee to the rabid mob. I, I don't care uh, enough about myself. The, the, the mission is, is bigger than just soccer. It's bigger than – this is a complete assault on our freedoms and our, our ability to express our, our freedom of speech. But, Seth, you're in an environment now where people are taking down George Washington's statue and Abraham Lincoln off your school, so uh, off the University of Washington. I mean, there's a total illogic to what's going on in this country. And 
We never thought we were perfect. I learned in school about slavery and the horrific things that happened up and through the 60s with going to the back of buses and separate water fountains. No one ever shied away from telling us how far we've come and how far we needed to go. But now all of a sudden, this generation feels as though they can judge every previous generation. I have no idea why, because I'm not in love with this generation. Are you? <laughs> Absolutely not. I find it to be one of the most self-entitled, the, the more self-promoting and, and, and instant gravitation with the, the big emphasis on social media than I've, I've, I've ever experienced in my life. And I'm kind of in between those millennials and, and the previous generation. And, and uh, it's just sad to me. It's just I, I wasn't so much angry as to what, everything that transpired. I was just sad. It was just so illuminating. I've had so many people reach out to me on social media and say, Seth, like, I've been canceled. I've been censored. And I was always very sympathetic to that. And, and uh, I was like, I'll do whatever I can for you. But once you experience it, once you feel the, the helplessness of it all and, and the whole world closing, everybody turning your back on you because they can't be associated with a, a racist, you know, and, is uh, and, it, it's uh, just and not. you're not. Me. Seth, you're not. But this is the statement oh that you're in on. You said 95% I mean, of the— I, I, I you, put my life on the line for course. people of color all over the world. If you want to degrade it to that level, people of color, I could care less what your color. If there's an atrocity, if there's an injustice, I'm the one who's going to fight for that. And now they've, they've taken that ability, my right, and my passion to do that from me because, uh, because I disrupted their narrative. Because you wanted people to stand if you're playing for the U.S. national team. ninety. You, you said this, 95% of the deaths in the black community come at the hands of other black men. People find that racist. That's actually accurate. Yeah, what, what, what I find appalling is, you know, I base a lot of my positions off of statistics and, and facts and figures. And, and, you know, for me, like, I have a ton of love for, for those communities. Uh, but, you know, you're, you're talking about 95% of the, the black-on-black crime within these major cities comes out of the hands of another black man. Why are we not using our platform to bring visibility to, to that mission? When we have, with 3.7% of that being at the hands of law enforcement, 3.2% being a justified use of force. So you are burning down half of our country and creating this false narrative off of less than a half of a percent of the deaths within that community. That's disproportionately egregiously reckless uh, approach to take to tackling these issues. And, and, you know, what I also find disheartening is, is in every uh, demographic, Asians, Hispanics, Natives, uh, um, every minority in our country, you know, experience very comparable socioeconomic plights. What is the difference with, with the African-American community compared to those communities is the 78 percent fatherless rate where, where these other, you know, demographics, primarily, you know, generally speaking, the family dynamic is intact. Is wish I can't get behind a, a movement like BLM where within their mission statement, it calls for the dissolvement of, of the nuclear family. That is the antithesis of what you should be promoting within that, those communities. If you care about the black community, if you care about those individuals, then you turn your back on BLM and you you, you, you promote uh, being a, a good father and a, and a good husband and the accountability within those communities. Right. You know, it's funny. My, 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 my best friend's a, a, a black guy, which I hate to even call him that. He calls me up and he's like, hey, uh, Seth, uh, I uh, didn't realize uh, for the last 10 years my best friend was a racist. I had to find out on the media. <laughs> you know, it's just, this is so ridiculous. Man. Because you're not. So this is what they said. 
and by the way, we're talking to Seth Yan. He's describing how he had his sponsors leave him, his job's in jeopardy, and got kicked off this athletic council advising U.S. soccer. Mr. Yan violated the prohibitive conduct policy section on harassment, which prohibits racial or other harassment based upon a person's protected status, race, including any verbal act in which race is used or implied in a manner which would make a reasonable person uncomfortable. So they're referring to your comments on that call, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah, the only harassment that, that, that is, uh, is, is exemplified here is, is what I've received after expressing diversity of thought. I've had 100-plus death threats to, my, to me and my mother who's about to go into surgery, um, that are praying that, she, that she are, 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 are uh, you know, telling me that, that she hopes that she dies on the operating table. How's that? Not hate speech, but what I said from simply let's refocus from slavery 200 years ago to the atrocities that are being committed today. How, how is that racist? I mean, I lived and worked in Africa for two and a half years of my life. I was embedded within these communities. Communities. I had opportunities to buy people for three to eight hundred dollars per head based on the physicality of their age and their health. Like there's a thriving slave trade right now, and nobody wants to talk about it. Journalists aren't embedded within the bush right. and, and within these these tribes. They don't have there's 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 none of that unless you've lived it. And 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 that's where my passion is. And, and Seth, I'm, I just I'm say, not, and if you were playing in the U.S. national team, you got to be a hell of a player. And the, what you have to sacrifice to get there is. No, you can have as much natural talent as you want. You need breaks. You got to stay healthy, and you got to be relentless in an effort to stay on top. No question. So, why would you go there, work so hard to represent America, and then take a knee? Do you think everybody else standing for the national anthem is representing perfect countries? If you want to give an interview afterwards to a magazine talking about how you're disappointed with this nation's education system, racial justice, whatever, but when the when they play your national anthem, why is it even? Debatable whether you should stand or not. It's to me is crazy. You're you're 100 spot on. I mean, what's really interesting is I've had a tremendous amount of support from players on the men's national team. I'm not going to throw their names out because it would cost them their sponsorship and and their contracts with their clubs. And all of them, aside from maybe a couple, have have said this is absolutely insane. It's ridiculous. Nobody even knows you, man, or they would never even make these baseless claims. Um, they said it's, and, and these are minorities, by the way, like these are guys who said, like, it's embarrassing to see people kneel for the flag when these other countries who are experiencing far more atrocities stand proudly for yeah. their anthem and to represent their country. I would support their, uh, their right to do, to go on their individual platform. I'd even help them to go say, hey, I, I, I don't support what's going on in the country, and this is why. And, I mean, that's, that's so why Seth, I, I, I know about Great. Right. I know about the death threats. What has happened since you came on Fox and Friends? Well, I mean, so initially it was just a complete onslaught. I felt, honestly, just overwhelmed by the, the hatred, the vitriol of the left and, and all these publications that, that released um, articles without even contacting me. And the only people that even gave me a voice and before they even published anything was, was Fox News and OAN and these other conservative outlets. Um, and, and the support that I've received, like I've, I'm not a big social media guy. I got on recently to Instagram and Twitter and all these things and, and went into to my request messages, and it almost brought a tear to my eye to say thank you for being a voice for us. I, this you express everything that I've been wanting to, to say, and I'm just too afraid to say. Uh, and, and that comes back to my point of, and I'm so resolute in this. I've said it on every broadcast. The only mass discrimination there's a discrimination across the board, all over the world, of course. The only mass discrimination in our country is that of conservative voices, and I want to be a voice for them. I want to fight for them. I want to be bolder in, now in my faith and my convictions than I ever have been, and. Uh, and that's what's going to propel me right. also into uh, an eventual political run.
Fantastic. So here, of all people who I think you'd like to hear from, this is 2019. This is former President Barack Obama. Cut 17. Like if I tweet or hashtag about how you didn't do something right or used the word wrong verb or then I can sit back and feel pretty good about myself because, man, you see how woke I was? I called you out. (laughs) (laughs) That's not... That's not activism. That, that's not bringing about change. Later on, 16. This idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're always politically woke and all that stuff, I, you should get over that quickly. The world, the world is messy. There are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. The, President Obama is making personally reason, perfectly reasonable points. People yeah, got to snap absolutely. out of this. We can't keep up with this. A hundred percent. I've I've met um, uh, Barack Obama three times. Um, and to be honest with you, each time was less re- remarkable than the previous. But and there's a few things that I agree with him on. But he's absolutely spot on there. And and uh, you know, it, I, I wish that those type of messages were were promoted nowadays. But you know, if Barack went and said that, actually, if it was disseminated from somebody that wasn't a person of color, they would be censored and canceled as well. And that's how scary the times we are in right now. Lastly, Bill Maher. Let's listen, not all of it, but some of it. Cut 20. Finally, new rule. Liberals need a stand-your-ground law for cancel culture so that when the woke mob comes after you for some ridiculous offense, you'll stand your ground. Stop apologizing, because I can't keep up anymore with who's on the list. Cancel culture is real, it's insane, and it's growing exponentially, and it's coming to a neighborhood near you. Is he right? Uh, he's, I mean, he's 100% right, and he's, um, this administration is just perpetu- perpetuating that. I mean, the biggest accomplishment in the Biden administration right now is uh, is canceling Mr. Potato Head. You know, it was one of the best advice that I got was from one of your own, actually, Joey Jones, and he said, Seth, he said, you, you, you piss off half the country by speaking the truth and bringing relevant fact and historical data into your, your position. He said, the only way that you piss off the other half of that country is is if you apologize for it. And so uh, I, I'm, I, I refuse to do that. I'm not your okay. breeze, man. So, Seth, let's keep in touch. Uh, you stood up for the right reason, and hopefully they'll stand up for the flag. Uh, Seth Yon, thank you. You're the man. Thank you so much for the opportunity, sir. You got it. Uh, Brian Kilmeade, back in a moment. Questioning everything. everything. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Do you believe that right now there's a crisis at the border? I think that the uh, uh, the answer is no. How is this not a crisis? Um, I have explained that quite clearly. I. Um, uh, we are challenged at the border. The men and women of the Department of Homeland Security uh, are meeting that challenge. It is a stressful challenge. Are you kidding me? A stressful challenge at the border? 130,000 people coming across by May? Unaccompanied minors, I should add? We have no place to put them except for now. Get this. They plan on expediting, expediting the young kids through without fully screening the would-be foster parents or parents or sponsors so they can go to a school. Where do they go? They're not going to Beverly Hills. They're not going to downtown New York to a charter school. They're going to working-class communities like Brentwood, Long Island, where they go in there with sponsors, might be great people, but for the most part, 
If you look at these schools in working class areas, they live off property taxes, even if sometimes states bail them out. And they're oftentimes the, the, uh, the teachers aren't paid enough. They don't have the surplus in their budget to even uh, field sports teams. And now you're going to take classes already stressed and put five to ten people in them who don't speak English, who need special services. Why are they more important? Then the Brazilians, then the Costa Ricans, then the Zambians, then the Norwegians who are in line trying to play the perfect game, apply for green cards, go to school here, and in hopes they go through the process, write some checks, and get here. There's a refugee policy that needs to be modernized, granted. But by loosening up the border rules, you are allowing chaos to take place. And you know who's on the front lines? Not politicians. Border Patrol, many of which are not vaccinated. 108 of the refugees that came across, the illegal aliens that came across, positive for the coronavirus, and they still put them on the bus to get into our country. But we can't get in from another country unless we test positive. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.